The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 30. I will extol you, O Lord. You have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. thanksgiving and praise and honor and worship. And we pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill our hearts, that as we worship you today, you would help us in our weakness, help us in our distractions, in our tiredness, in anything that might cause us to not offer up to you everything that our Creator God is due. Lord, we pray in the Spirit that you would cause us to hear and believe the words of the Gospel, and that we would see the Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up, and beautiful. And we pray, Lord, that you would touch our hearts, that we would have a sense of being in your presence with your people. We thank you for the joy that it is to be gathered as your people today to worship you. And now we join our hearts together and pray out loud the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. 
This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to be reciting together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal if you would like to use it. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, hear these words of assurance for those who cling to the Lord Jesus by faith from the book of 1 John chapter 3. By this we know love, because He laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, that we should believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us this commandment. Amen. God's assurance of our pardon before Him. Let's turn in our hymnal now as we continue to worship to number 140, O Word of God Incarnate.
seated. At this time, I'd like to uh, call two of our graduates to come up front with me for just a moment. This morning, we'd like to recognize our graduates and uh, hear a little bit about what they are doing uh, as they step forward into this next season of life. So I wanted to ask if Emma Grace Pope and Bailey Hamilton would join me here up front. As they're coming, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge not only for them, but also for their families, for their parents, uh, grandparents, and others who have been involved in their education. What a moment this is, and a special time as a church family to get to recognize them and to celebrate, uh, to mark the occasion. You made it. You are done. Mom and dads, you made it. You are done. And both families, one down. So you did it. Uh, entrust your children, their education, their raising to the Lord. So I wanted to ask uh, Emma Grace and Bailey. Emma Grace, we'll start with you. If you can tell us um, what you're planning to do this summer and what you uh, look to do in the future. Um, this summer, I'm just working a lot. Um, and then I'll finish my associate's degree at Midlands. Okay. Um, and then I'll probably transfer to a four-year college. Okay. Bailey? Uh, this summer, I plan to work and hang out with friends and play with the very college. Okay. All right. Well, wonderful. I want to just take a moment to um, to acknowledge you guys being done. Congratulations. You should be proud of yourselves. You did this. And as you look forward to, uh, to taking these next steps, you're not going to see a lot of things in life that are so clearly marked as a, a step in the next direction in life. And so I want to pray for you now that the Lord would guide you, that He would be near and dear to your heart, and that all that you seek to do uh, would include Him and honor Him with your life. I'll pray for you. Father, we thank You for Emma Grace and for Bailey. Lord, we thank You for this accomplishment that they can be proud of. They did it. They made it. They graduated from high school. They completed their education. And Lord, I pray for your special grace to be upon them, that as they take these next steps in life, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit to know that you are guiding them. Lord, I pray that your word would be prominent in their life, that they would seek to love you and to walk in your ways, that they would be a witness for you wherever you place them, and that those that you bring in their path would know this is a child of the living God. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with hope, that on the days when they are not so good, when it seems to be raining and cloudy in their life, Lord, I pray that you would help them to know you are near them. And I pray, Lord, that on their best days, they would seek to know that the Lord is my goodness, He is my strength and my shield, and He is my reason for rejoicing. I pray, Lord, that you would protect them from attacks from the enemy, and I pray that you would establish the path of their feet, that you would give them success and joy and delight in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Turn in your hymnal, if you will, to uh, page 833. Our responsive reading this morning is Psalm 131, page 833. I'll begin with the, the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. O Lord, remember David. Excuse me. 
I think I started the wrong one. I apologize. Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. But I have stilled and quieted my soul. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Let's stand together and turn in your hymnal to page number 137 as we sing together Holy Bible, Book Divine. denominations disaster response ministry but also wanted to point out that the PCA administrative committee has asked that churches in our denomination uh, take today as a day of prayer to pray for our denomination for the general assembly that will be meeting uh, in just a little less than a month in Memphis Tennessee and also to offer up prayers for the sessions and the family and the churches of Briarwood Presbyterian Church as Dr. Harry Reeder unexpectedly passed away this week in a tragic car accident and also of the session and family and the church at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York uh, Dr. Tim Keller passed away after a battle with uh, cancer this week as well so we want to pray for them uh, pray that the Lord would be close to them that he would give the session strength and endurance and faith and that he would bless their church families in this time of transition and grieving. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you hear us as we lift up our voices and lift up our hearts to you. 
I know there are many prayer requests in this room. We shared many in assembly this morning, and I know there are many others that were not mentioned. Things that are heavy on our minds and our hearts, concerns that involve our own families, our relationships, our own futures, and even things that are unresolved at this time. Lord, we cry out to you as your people, believing that you hear us as we pray, and also that in your good time, according to your providence, and in your great wisdom, that is beyond all understanding, we know that you will answer. And so we rest our hope and our faith in you, knowing that you will take care of us. And Lord, we do lift up to you Tom and Lucy Wright, two of our missionaries that we support, and we lift up their families to you. Lord, as they look to you to provide the strength and the finances and the energy and the courage to do the work that you have given them to do, Lord, we pray for them. We lift them up to you that you would have your arms wrapped around them and their family. And Lord, we pray that you would cause them to know joy and delight in serving you. And Lord, we do also pray for MA disaster response and the work that is done by many uh, who are part of the committees, but also, Lord, part of churches. People who, when the call comes, they drop and go. And Lord, we pray that as they go, not only would they go giving hope and helping people to take care of homes that have been destroyed and pick up belongings and pieces of their lives and try to fit them in boxes. Lord, we pray that you would open up, make hearts soft to the gospel in ways that only you can. And Lord, we know that sometimes tragedies and disasters do cause people to turn to you. They look to you, they ask why, they ask who's in charge and how could this happen. And Lord, we pray that you would work mightily in their homes, in their hearts, that they would know that the Lord Jesus came to save them from the disaster of punishment, eternal punishment in hell because of our sin. And Lord, we do lift up to you the congregations of Briarwood and Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Lord, we pray for Dr. Reeder's family and for Dr. Keller's family. We pray that you would comfort their wives and their children and their grandchildren. Lord, we pray for the sessions of these two churches, that you would cause them to be men of God who have continued to serve you for many years and that they would do so now, even in this time of great loss. And as these churches gather today to worship you, they do so with grief in their hearts. And this church family knows that kind of grief. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to pray for our brothers and sisters in this dark hour. Their pastors, their beloved pastors, have gone to be with the Lord. And we pray that you would help them to see joy. Help them to see your provision. Help them to see your love and care for them as a, as a church family. And Lord, I pray for our people here today. I pray that you would help us to know the joy and delight of being called your sons and daughters. And I pray a prayer of illumination, Lord, that as we come to your word that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, take away the scales from our minds and from our ears and from our eyes, that we would open our Bibles and behold wonderful things out of your law. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the Scriptures to be able to read them, to use them in worship, to use them in our lives, to hide them in our hearts that we might not sin against you. And Lord, I thank you that we may offer up prayers to you knowing that you are a good Heavenly Father who takes care of us. In Jesus' name. Amen.
want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word, open your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, this morning we're going to be reading verses 10 through 17. The sermon is entitled, Never Outgrow the Gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. This is the word of the Lord. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today's sermon is entitled, Never Outgrow the Gospel. And I'll just say up front that I've had a lot of thoughts this week thinking about our children as they get older, our graduates as they take the next step in life, and as families also take that step with them. That as we think about growing older, there are many things that we might say we've outgrown. Children outgrow clothes and shoes, and sometimes even before they're worn out, we're looking for another pair because they can't get their feet in them. Or maybe they've skinned their knee in them. In this text, Paul and Timothy are at a significant crossroads, both of them, in their lives. Life will never be the same very shortly for them. For Paul, he knows that imminent death is coming. He knows that this sentence will be handed down and his time on this earth will be short. And Timothy very soon will be leading the church in Ephesus. And so he's telling him, Paul is saying to Timothy, Do these things. Continue in what you've learned. The time is very short for me. And I want you to be confident in the gifts that the Lord has given you to lead there. Paul is telling Timothy, who's around 40 years old, to never outgrow the gospel. Never outgrow your need of believing and hearing and preaching the gospel to your own soul. He learned things that we would consider the first things. Those things that we teach our children, we hope that they hear and learn at our tables and in our Sunday school classes and in youth groups. These first things are absolutely necessary in life. And he says here to Timothy in chapter 3 that the scriptures are what make you wise for salvation. In education and in life, there are some skills and things that we learn that we would call building blocks. You have to learn this in order to move on to the next thing. But many times, and in many cases, those things are things that we take as for granted or rote. We just we, we know how to do them or we remember them. And we don't really ever consider them very closely again. And Paul is urging Timothy, don't do this with the gospel. Don't lay the gospel aside. Don't lay the good news of your salvation, of Jesus coming to die for you, 
Him shedding His precious blood to deliver you from your sin and from hell and from the devil. Don't forget the gospel. Don't think that you can outgrow it like a pair of shoes or your favorite shirt. And for us as God's people, as we think about it and as Timothy did, as we think about our own gospel beginnings, as we think about those who taught us the things of life in God's Word, looking back not with an eye or a heart towards nostalgia, but with a true eye looking to see what did the Lord teach me? What did people tell me about Jesus and about His precious blood and the cross and death and hell and a hope in heaven? What is it that they taught me? We should be rejoicing to know that all along the path of our lives, even though we may not have seen it always or recognized it, we should look back with rejoicing because we know our Heavenly Father has been pursuing us in His Word in the gospel, through our Savior, all along. It was His pursuit of us, and not ours of Him. And that's why we belong to our Savior. That's why we love God's church, and love His people. And that's why we're here this morning for worship. So, never outgrow the gospel. That's a message for all of us. It certainly is a message for our graduates today. Never think that it's something that you move on from. There might have been a subject that you just loved to hate in school. And you're so glad I don't ever have to pick up that book again. The Bible is not that book. The Bible in it is life and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning I have three points. Remember what you learned, number one. Remember the nature of sin in this fallen world, number two. And lastly, I have a few thoughts very personally for you as you begin this journey to our graduates. So number one, remember what you learned. And as you think about this, it should lead our hearts to deep humility as you think about what the Lord taught you. Look in verse 10 and then in verses 14 and 15 again. Remember what you learned. Remember who taught you. In verse 10, Paul tells Timothy, you carefully followed me. You saw my manner of life, the way that I lived, what drove my heart. You saw the good things that I enjoyed, the blessing of God. But he mentions also, you saw my persecutions and my afflictions. Remember who taught you. We looked at last week the heritage of faith that Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice taught him. And as he is exhorting Timothy to remember who taught him the Scriptures, he's not just saying, think back of who the people were. Can you name your Sunday school teachers? Can you remember those who opened the Bible to you? He's telling him, think about their quality of life. And I don't mean whether they were good southern gentlemen and women, but whether they loved the Lord. As they shared the Scriptures with you, did they love the Lord Jesus in them and did they love you with them? He's saying, Timothy, I did. I loved you as a son, as my own son. And he's saying, your grandmother and your mother shared with you the Scriptures because they love you. Remember those who taught you. He also says, not just to think back with good fond memories of sitting around the table, whether it was at home, after a meal, or maybe in Sunday school. He's saying, remember what you were taught. And this is significant and weighty. Think about this for those of you who teach our young people or our children. What are we teaching at Lebanon? We're teaching the Scriptures. We're hoping that our children hear and believe and understand that the Lord draws them by His Spirit, through His Word, to the Lord Jesus Christ, in love with Him. That the things they hear, the questions they answer, 
will be because the Lord has put it in their heart. He says, Timothy, don't forget what you learned. You learned in verse 15 and 16 and 17. You learned the Holy Scriptures. You learned the Word of God. The very words that God spoke through apostles and prophets, He spoke to you. He revealed Himself to you. The foundation of the identity that Timothy and Paul had was all of their life, day-to-day life, the things that they did, their education system, and even as they went to the synagogue to worship with God's people, everything was fashioned around the Old Testament for them. Everything. Every part of their lives. In, in the first five books, the Pentateuch, in the Old Testament, they were given direction. In the prophets, they were given their heritage and a sense of conviction about who God is. A righteous judge and one who will come and take His people home. And He will pour out wrath on those who continue to live in sin and deny Him. In the Psalms and in the other writings, they were given resources for guidance and for prayers and for corporate singing. The Bible in the Old Testament encompassed all of their life, everything that they were to do, everything that they were to believe about God and themselves. And he's reminding Timothy, don't forget, as you get used to teaching the Bible, as you get used to telling people this is where life and wisdom is, don't forget that the Bible is God's holy word. It is His self-revelation to His people. And don't forget, don't ever do what some other people are doing in the church. They're seeking to put their opinion on the same level or even before the Scriptures. Don't do that. God's self-revelation is in His Scriptures. That's why He calls it the Holy Scriptures. Set apart. These are different words and different ideas. These are not the same that you and I would have on our own, even though it may sound and be filled with a measure of wisdom. This is God's Word. It is holy and right and good. And He gave it to His people. It's full of authority. It is the final word regarding what it says. There is no dissension, no distraction from it. It is true. It is absolutely useful. And He's telling Timothy, you need to know the Scriptures, my true Son in the faith, because you will need God's Word in the trials that are coming. You will need it. You need to store it up in your heart because it is the well that you will draw from. And I say that to our church family, but especially to our graduates. You need God's Word in your heart. You need to know it. Not to run to in moments of difficulty or weakness. Absolutely you need it then. Store it up in your hearts now. That the Lord would use it in your life and He would show you how much He cares for you and how He provides. The sacred Scriptures as we read them each Sunday are to be handled appropriately. They're to be read with reverence in our hearts. And our hearts are to be inclined as we read them to trust the Lord. As we come to the Bible, we are reading God's Word written to us. And there is no other. These are the words of life. We should be storing them up in our hearts as such. He also reminds him to to remember what you learned in God's salvation. Not only did Timothy hear these things as a little boy, not only did he likely hear questions and have to give the answers, but Paul goes a step further. It wasn't just information that he learned or things that he learned to pare it back, though there is a place for that. He's saying in verse 14 that these are things that Timothy is now assured of in his own heart in the study of the Old Testament. And you might say for just a moment, wow, studying the Old Testament. He read the Old Testament. Those were his scriptures. 
in, in their day, that was what they read. And they understood it. They committed it to memory. He's commending to us that the Old Testament is part of the Bible too. There are many times when we might say, well, yes, we can learn about the history of God's people in the Old Testament, but life and Jesus and grace and faith are in the New Testament. And that's to look at the Scriptures with a very narrow view. Timothy was converted and assured of faith and love in the Gospel, studying the Old Testament. I want to share some words with you this morning from Psalm 19, beginning in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That word simple there is the same kind of word for children or infants. Making wise infants. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. It was passages like these that drew Timothy's heart to the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's what he studied, and it drew him. The Lord used it to draw him to himself. I think it's important for us to think about, yes, you absolutely should be studying the Scriptures, but isn't it also true that we should remember, lest we think we have God at our bidding, remember that our studying the Scriptures, our reading them, your devotions every day is not so that you go to God and say, okay, I did it. I did what you asked me to do. There's not a magical formula in this. That if I read the Bible or if I put the Bible in front of my children, I know they will belong to the Lord. We don't force God's hand in studying the Scriptures. Salvation is a wondrous work of God. And Jesus gave a warning in John chapter 5 actually when He was speaking to some people who thought they understood the Scriptures. And they were bold enough to ask Him questions. And He says, You have never heard My Father's voice and you don't know Him. His truth does not abide in you. And actually you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have life. And yet you don't. And he says, because I am here telling you this, you still remain in your sins. Don't ever think for any reason that you have God over a barrel. Or that offering up to Him your devotional life or your good deeds is enough to have Him do your bidding. We serve the living God. And we can say, just as Jesus taught, I am just a servant doing the work of my Master. That is absolutely true. Salvation is the good news of God's gracious reaching down into this fallen world to redeem sinners from their sin and misery by a Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the good news. The good news is not that I'm better than those sinners out there. The good news is that me, a sinner, just deserving exactly what they deserve, Jesus came and saved me because of Him and not because of me. Therefore, I can rejoice. On my best days and on my worst days, I belong to my Savior. Heidelberg Catechism, question number one. What is your only hope in life and in death? The answer says that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for our graduates. I pray for our church family, for our covenant children that that's true. 
that that's the joy of your heart, your comfort in life and in death, that you belong to your Savior. Everything else in life is just window dressing. Number two, remember the nature of sin in this fallen world. And I think as you remember this, as you remember this by faith, it will lead you to cry for faith and endurance to finish well in this life. To finish well loving the Lord and following Him and serving Him and not giving in to the lies of the enemy. Sin is not just an abstract concept that was come up out of the Bible somewhere so that we could give an answer to what happens around us. Sin is a contagion, we believe, that has infected every part of our existence. Every part. Listen to these words from chapter 3 in 2 Timothy, starting in verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. That's Paul's parting cheerful word to his son in the faith, Timothy. Be prepared, Timothy. You should strap on the full armor of God because these are the times that you're living in. These are the times that we live in, brothers and sisters. We have to have a significant understanding of the nature of sin in this fallen world. And I think there are three specific things that he's pointing out in this text that he wants Timothy to remember. And I think it's helpful for us to remember as parents, as children, especially our graduates this morning, that awful things happen to godly people. Awful things happen to godly people. In verse 11 through 13, I imagine Paul sitting here as he's writing and he's recounting in his mind things that happened to him in his ministry after the Lord met him. Things that he told him would take place and they are awful. Awful things happen to God's people. And I think we should remember, you should remember that in the wake of tragedy in your life and in the life of others and in the the wider world around us, in the wake of tragedy, we should be reminded every time we know the answer to why evil exists in this world. It exists because of sin. It exists because of sin before a holy God. And there's a lie that you might be tempted to believe. And maybe some of us give into it from time to time. That if I obey, I can expect that God will shield me and my family. If I live a loving life before Him, He will exempt me from the difficulties that I see other people going through. Or maybe you ask yourself and you scratch your head and you you hang your head in shame. If only I was living right, these bad things wouldn't be happening to me. We give in to those lies. They, They creep in at the worst moments. And at the times when we are the weakest and we are emotionally drained and we are wondering what is going on, Timothy, remember, Paul says, awful things happen to godly people. I think the prosperity gospel has no concept, no category for tragedy in the presence of ongoing sinfulness around us. Listen to Paul's list of what he endured. And he's saying this not to boast about himself and not to say, look, I'm a super apostle. I'm a super Christian, so these are the things that I endured. He lists these things to encourage God's people. 
that these things may happen to you. Don't be surprised. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 27. This is what Paul says about his own experience of awfulness in this fallen world. From the Jews, five times I received 40 strikes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleepness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. And this is just general living in the fallen world. He hasn't even yet mentioned his care and concern for the churches and what he endured for the sake of spreading the gospel. This is part of life in a fallen world. And actually, I believe it's worse for us as believers. Certainly there are people who endure tragedies, but I believe that it is worse and harder for us because we know we have an enemy who does not want our faith to be in the Lord Jesus. He wants us to shrink back. So that's the first thing I think that he wants him to remember about the nature of sin in this fallen world, that awful things happen to godly people. The second is, I believe, that in this life there will always be opposition to godly living. There will always be. There is not a neutral person in the world towards the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are living for Jesus and want to serve Him, there is opposition. And you know that. You see it in your own heart. You see it in the mirror when you wake up in the morning. In verses 12 and 13, he says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Jesus reminded the disciples. He said, If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. If they loved me, they will love you. But if they don't love me, you can be sure they will not love you. And I believe that's why John could say so clearly in 1 John, do not love the world. Don't love the world. The world system. The lie, I think, that we tend to believe here is that it's important. And I think this is critical for all of us, but especially for our young people. It's important that everyone likes me and approves of all my decisions. Do you have anyone like that in your life? Anybody. And especially the gray heads in this room. That you would say, there's somebody in my life, they are just in my corner 100% every time. They never disagree with me. You're not going to have that. So perish that thought. You're not going to have it. And there's another lie, I think. And this is just throughout our culture. And it's not true. That if anyone challenges me or disagrees with a stance that I take, it's a personal attack. They hate me. They don't love me. That's not true. It's a lie the enemy would love for you to believe. I think for our people, we need to be prepared to need the encouragement to continue in the faith. He tells Timothy, you need to continue in the things that you started in. The things that your grandmother and your mother and the things that I taught you as a young man, Timothy. Walk in them. Be prepared to need the encouragement to continue. You can't do this alone. And there will be some And they will look you in the face and smile and shake your hand. And they are against you. And they are working against you in the good work of the gospel. And they would love for nothing else but to see you fall. Hope in the Lord. Continue in the things that you have learned. 
In Romans chapter 12, verses 18 and 19, I'm not telling you you should be the church militant out there to take out anybody that opposes you. I'm saying, I think what Paul said in Romans 12, he answers that kind of idea. He says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Do not avenge yourselves. It is mine. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Lastly, remember the nature of sin in this fallen world. Remember that God delivers His people. I imagine Timothy and Paul having a conversation. And after Paul has recounted all of these things that he's gone through, things that we read in 2 Corinthians, as he's sitting there writing this letter to Timothy, and he's wanting him to know the truth, and he's recounting the the perseverance and the persecutions and the afflictions, he says that I endured in Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. You can read about those in Acts 14 to 16. And then in my Bible, there's a dash. And he says, what persecutions I endured. And I imagine, in some ways, there was a weight to that. But I imagine also there was a lightheartedness that said, I endured nothing but what the Lord brought into my life. And I endured nothing compared to what my Jesus endured for me. I believe there was a lightheartedness to his soul about this. Jesus endured everything for me. A lie would be that you might believe from time to time that God's people struggle with. Those who love the Lord and cling to Him, you struggle with this idea. I'm all alone. And there are no resources to withstand the evil around me. And there is no one coming to help. So if you don't figure it out, as we say this to our soul, if you don't figure it out, it's not going to happen. The enemy wants you to believe that. The enemy wants you to believe that nobody at church will understand. If I share with someone in my circle, or if I share with someone in Bible study or in Sunday school, they just won't understand. They'll smile and they'll say they'll pray for me, but they won't really understand. I just won't even bother to share the struggles that I have. Or the church can't help here. I should simply just give up. The strength of the evil around me is too much. I just need to let go. Following God is just too costly. I can't do it. I want to encourage you if this is where you are today. And I want to give you some verses to write down if you're not. That you could go back and look at them. Acts 14 verse 22. We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Psalm 34 verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Psalm 119, verse 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. May God's word for all of us be where we hope and trust in Him, where we see what we are to believe about Him and ourselves and how we're to live in obedience before Him. So remember what you learned. Remember the nature of sin in this fallen world. And then I just want to share a few things adapted from an article that I read this week from John Bloom. The article is entitled, Dear Graduate. And he shares four things that I hope that you remember in this journey in life. There are very few times in life where you see such clear demarcations for I am stepping into another phase of life. As you become an adult, there will be people who just think you know what you're doing because you're older. Your age has increased, so you must have wisdom. I pray that the Lord gives you joy and delight as you celebrate, but I pray these things for you too. A few thoughts as you go on your journey. The first is the road to joy is absolutely hard. The road to joy is hard. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. 
He said, if you follow Him, there is life and hope and peace in Him. But there are going to be times in life when it seems that the door you should take or the path that you should walk down is going to look easy and nice. And it will be tempting to go the easy route. But John wrote the path of least resistance is many times the path of least reward. Trust the Lord. The path to joy is hard. There are many things you're going to learn. I hope that you learn that one. And that you learn it young. Number two, trust God's promises, not your perceptions. Our culture tells us your own peers will tell you. Just follow your heart. Do what you think is best. No one can tell you how to live. But the Bible says the exact opposite. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. And I think one of the ways that you protect your own heart in the path of your life is to lean on your family and your church family, people that love you. Go to those in our church family with gray heads and say, would you mentor me? Do you have advice? Is there counsel you would give me? And then be willing to listen and hear and be not surprised if they tell you something to do that's different than what you thought. Trust God's promises, not your perceptions. Number three, pray whatever it takes, Lord, kind of prayers. Whatever it takes, do in my life. Whatever it takes, cause me to follow you. Whatever it takes, losing this job opportunity, losing this relationship, losing this career, Lord, help me. Whatever it takes to love you and to follow you. And number four, be you. Even the disciples struggled with wondering and hoping to find out what's going to happen with this other guy. And Jesus said, what's it to you? If the kingdom comes and this man doesn't die, you follow me. Be you. I'm not telling you you're enough. Jesus is absolutely necessary for your life and hope and trust in Him. I'm telling you, be you and don't worry about what everyone else is doing. You live before the Lord. Walk with Him and trust Him. And lastly, I want to share a verse from Acts chapter 14. Just from the passage we were just reading. It says that after the disciples were there and the apostles were there with God's people... It says that they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And I I want to do that this morning as we pray in just a moment. Commending our graduates, our young people, to the Lord in whom you have believed. Follow us as we follow Christ. We are going to fail and make mistakes. Look to Jesus and trust in Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word that is good and right We should live under it. It is our authority. And Lord, I do commend our young people to You, especially and particularly our our graduates today, that as they go out into this world, we pray that You would give them wisdom and hope and faith, that they would not forsake the Gospel that their parents and our church family have sought to teach them. Lord, I pray that You would hide Your Word in their hearts that they wouldn't sin against You. And I pray, Lord, that You would guide them on the days that are easy and on the days that are hard. Help them to know You never leave them nor forsake them. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand now together and turn in your hymnal to number 139. Your word is like a garden, Lord.
give back to you now in this our service of worship a portion of what you have given us in our tithes and offerings we offer to you lord the gifts that you have given and we pray lord that you would bless our church family bless the work of the ministry 
and bless the spread of the gospel throughout the world by our obedience and giving. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to see you providing for us in many different ways, even in our own homes, as we are obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. the benediction of our Lord. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.